Take a walk through Seoul's 500 years of ghastly murders, forbidden history, and hidden scandals. Listen to tales of Korea's deepest, darkest secrets. What lies under the concrete? Or who? The Dark Side of Soul Ghost Walk at DarkSideOfSoul.com Book now, if you dare. And welcome to the Dark Side of Soul podcast. This is Joe. This is Sean. Joe Sean. Joe Sean. The fall Fall of Joe Sean. (laughs) Yes, we are back talking about the fall of Joseon after like four months or so. (laughs) Something like that. I think it's because I've been avoiding this one chapter because it's. I don't know how to describe it. It's it, it's necessary. It's interesting, but it is very much like the densest part of Game of Thrones, as in trying to keep track of everything and trying to keep it so that you know what's going on with whom. Um, but yeah, this is this is a period we're going to talk about. This is uh, this is our sixth part of it. We're going to cover what's called what we're calling the rise of the scholar elite from the 1560s to the 1580s. Telling you about that. Now, this is important because the Joseon, especially the middle to late Joseon dynasty in Korea itself was pretty much different, pretty much has differentiated itself from other historic dynasties around the world because it was a ruling class of scholars, of nerds, rather than of warriors. And that was, yeah, that, that was one thing to distinguish Korea from other countries, uh, other nations. Um, so let's do a recap of what happened before. Previously on Fall of Joseon, in the wake of King Injong's death, his young successor, King Myongjong, found himself under the guidance of Queen Mother Moonjong and her influential brothers Yoon Won-ro and Yoon Won-hyung. You talked to remember them. This sparked a power struggle with the senior Yoon faction preemptively launching an impeachment campaign, campaign against Yoon Won-ro, leading to his exile. In retaliation, the junior Yoon faction, led by Yoon Won-hyung, accused their rivals of treason, resulting in a series of trials and executions known as the Literati Purge of 1545. With the senior Yoon faction eliminated, the junior Yoon faction consolidated its power, initiating policy reversals and rewarding loyalists. However, internal conflict and external threats led to further purges and executions ultimately culminating in the downfall of the Yoon faction and the rise of a new elite under King Yongjong's reign. And so we are. there we go. We're going to talk about the rise of the scholar elite and, of course, factionalism. This is the big theme of the Joseon dynasty is factionalism. Still today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think- yeah. yeah, as one uh, scholar put it, and as I think it was a 19th century scholar put it, if you got two people applying for the same job, you're going to end up with two factions. If you got four people applying, you're going to end up with four factions. Mm. That's what it is. Right. 
Um, but before then, mo- through most of the, the Joseon dynasty, each Joseon ruler has had to build up his base with merit subjects, the Gongshin, which I describe as the jocks. The warriors. <laughs> and by King Myeongjong's time, there were 526 merit subjects, 5,200 minor merit subjects. Um, and the only benefits of having this, you had wealth and we had benefits of this. You had wealth and power. You had tax exempt farmland. You had heritable slaves. Uh, Korea had slaves and, uh, you got high government positions and they were the backbone of the government, uh, up until Myeongjong's reign. Now I'm going to talk about how this kind of fell apart later on. Um, now during this time, after that literary literati purge of 1545, I still cannot say that word. Um, Confucian scholars. Yeah. We're on the, Fringe of the politics, fringe of politics. They were way outnumbered by the, the merit subjects. I mean, come on, they're 15 to 5,200 minor merit ones, 526 merit subjects. Um, and, and being a Confucian scholar didn't have as many benefits. Uh, uh, you only had land while you're in office. You could only get taxes, make income from your land when you were in office and you couldn't inherit it and you couldn't, you couldn't get a government position. Uh, that was really high rank unless you were also a merit, uh, a merit subject. And so the Confucius scholars tended to be re- relegated to the three government agencies known as the Samsa. Uh, the agencies were the board of, board of inspection known as, as, uh, Sehanbu, the board of supervision and censorship known as Saganwan and the board of royal advisors known as, known as, uh, and their duties were to inspect and impeach officials for corruption and to say tisk 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 to the king when he's bad. And uh, of course that um you know through all history that put them in direct conflict with people who are more powerful than them so he saw a series of bloody purges. <laughs> um so we're going to talk about this a bit. We're going to talk about some of these guys. You're going to hear a lot of them a bit. So uh, a, a man named Shim Yigum is the minister of personnel. This is a middle middle management position that everyone wants because you get to choose who you, who's who who who's going to be in what position, and you can just fill it up with your with your boys. And it starts growing. He starts growing it and consolidating it with uh, Confucian scholars. And from this time on, scholar officials emerged as the primary power group in Joseon politics. And so it became a country of the scholar elite, by the scholar elite, and for the scholar elite. Mm-hmm. And since they were in power, of course, you're going to get factional strife. So uh, King, Myung, King Myungjong dies, and, and, and he has no heir, so his, his nephew, Prince Hasong is crowned King Sonjo. Well, that's his posthumous name, but King Sonjo in 1567. And uh, his whole reign is marked by this revival of the Confucian monarchy and the rise of the Confucian elite. And so by then, Shin Wigum as chief uh, and chief state counselor Yi, uh, Yi Jung-young filled up all these posts with these scholar officials. But of course, you're going to have factional strife. This time it is young versus old officials. Uh, and uh, the big issue is righting wrongs of the past, uh, particularly the, the, the literati, literati purge of 1545. 
So in um, 1567, the, the year that Sonjo took the crown, uh, a young official named Gi Daesung Daesung uh, wanted King Sonjo to restore honor to past purged officials, and the young officials took a very hardline stance. Um, and they considered them pure. They weren't tainted by the previous regime, so they they um, uh, they they wouldn't waver at all. The elder officials were more moderates, and this battle went on for two years. And uh, then uh, in September 1569, uh, a gentleman, a very famous gentleman named E.E. Uh, e., uh, in English, it's usually pronounced E.E. E., uh, very prominent official, very, very uh, prominent uh, Confucian scholar. Uh, he, he petitioned Sonjo to punish the surviving officials involved in the 1545 purge. Um, and so this became E.E. E. and E. Jung Young versus Chief State Counselor E. Jung Young and Inspector General Gi Dae Sung. Now, Gi Dae Sung, um, now, what does this mean? Uh, it means, well, for one thing, uh, it's just everyone's just unleashing personal attacks on each other. So, Yi get Gi Dae Song, unleashes a personal attack on Yi Jung Young. Uh, Gi comes under a counterattack for more powerful officials and has to step down. This is going to be a pattern we're going to see. Uh, Gi resigns and returns home. Keep that in mind. Uh, the king didn't accept his resignation and this intensified the conflict. Uh, the con- and then the controversy over this legitimacy of the 1945 purge lasted until, uh, uh, this whole controversy lasted until 1570. So this lasted for three years, uh, cause they started talking about it in 1567. Um, of course, as with everything, this was all cover for naked power grabs. Uh, uh, young officials wanted to get the old fogies out so they could advance their careers. And so this was called, this was the official start of, uh, of Danjing. Dangjing, uh, which is the term for factional strife. Um, now, the term first appeared in the 18th century. I'm going over my notes because I'm making sure I haven't repeated myself a few times because I think I've written this a few times. I don't want to be like, ooh, gosh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in, the first, in 1719, uh, the, the uh, Dangjing first appeared in writing. It was not always... Uh, you, it wasn't used when it was, when they were doing it. And, uh, the, the phrase comes from the Chinese, it comes from the Chinese phrase, uh, new, uh, new yi jang jing, which is the factional struggle, struggle between the new and the yi factions during the middle Tang dynasty. And, um, <coughs> many Korean scholars believe that term should be replaced with, uh, bung dang jong chi, which is, just means factional politics. Rather than factional strife, because it's a little t- slightly tamer term, but in really, reality, it's just a play in words. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a euphemism. It, yeah, they're just trying to whitewash everything on how extreme the factionalism was. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, when every time the mainstream K- Korean historians, K historians, uh, Kiss historians, historians, yeah, big Kiss fans, yeah, yeah, they're kissing something. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they did that. Um, you can point out that even kings, kings Yongjo and Jongjo had to carry out policies of impartiality to tamper the effects of this destructive, fact, destructive factionalism. This was happening so much that the kings were getting involved. So they, uh, it did exist. So a lot of the modern Korean historians are trying to deny it, it existed or it was as bad. Um, and before his death, uh, Lee Jung Young, 
expressed fear that this newly invigorated factional strife would ruin the nation. And it did. Um, because I remember neo-Confucianism was a fundamentalist movement. And every fundamentalist movement thinks in stark good versus evil dichotomies. Uh, they do not tolerate any wavering from purity. And they're full of self-righteousness and self-centeredness. I'm sure you know many people on Facebook like this. <laughs> and social media like this. YouTube uh, comment sections. Exactly. It's a do as I say, not as I do credibility gap as well. We get a lot of uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, people, hold on. Do as I say, not as I do. My gosh, hypocrites, hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, English language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in fact, uh, Lee Jung Young said, while placing high emphasis on Confucian political ethics outwardly, they act against Confucian teachings. They gather together only with like-minded scholars and form a faction for the furtherance of their common interests, which is a definition of a petty person, which is a thing you don't want to be as a Confucianist, Confucianist, Confucian scholar. You don't want mm. a petty person. You want to, you want to be, uh, you, you want to be a, 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 a virtuous Sir, person. Yeah. In search of virtue, the whole point of Confucianism is to, is to find the, Essentially, the, the the heaven here on Earth, right? The virtues, the virtues of the divine don't exist. They, uh, we we create them ourselves. We right. we we in, within virtue. Yeah, a very simplified <laughs> explanation right. of it. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, you know. Uh, so, E. Uh, uh, Junyong, I mean, uh, he died. Uh, this he, he he said that quote right before he died. Uh, Hmm. Um, and there's lots of factionism with the scholar elite. Uh, now keep in mind, you know, every time there's a purge or the exile people, they go back to their hometowns. What they do is they train a new generation with, 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 with grudges. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so suddenly we saw, you see a drastic increase in scholars eligible for government service. Because of those scholars that were in the capital were back in the hometowns teaching a whole new mini army of nerds. And uh, they stayed on, and then they were just staying underground until the political environment improved and, and it was favorable towards the scholar officials. And then, uh, well, what, what, so the, suddenly we got all of these, all these scholars wanting to be in government service, but still the same number of government positions that have always been just slightly higher. Uh, for example, this is, this is some stats in the 15th century. Uh, there were, uh, during the, during the period of, of Prince Yonsan, Yonsan Gun, remember the, the guy that was like just the, the Prince Joffrey, Ramsey Bolton of Korea. If you follow game of Thrones, um, there were 996 scholars and 22 were allowed into government office per year after taking the civil service exam. 100 years after that, in the time we're talking about now, 4,788 scholars and less than 30 are being allowed per year into government service. Quite very narrow, very, very few, very few seats. I mean, even less than, even less than Samsung. 
these days. <laughs> Which, again, it sounds like now. This, and by the way, there's a reason I'm pointing all this out because you're going to find lots of parallels between what's happening in modern times with them. Because you, right now, we talk about uh, Korea's overly educated, too many people graduated university, and uh, there are too few jobs that they feel they deserve. So <laughs> they're sitting, and they don't have. They they still can live with their parents, so they stay at home and they just they're just waiting for that job they feel they deserve, and uh, they because they feel menial labor is is uh, beneath them, or other types of jobs are beneath them. Uh, this is similar to what's happening here. Um, so since there were so few positions, they grouped themselves into political factions, so politi- similar similar political interests. They were known as uh, bungdang. Um, now the difference between this, these, these are not like political parties because there was no philosophy binding them together. Uh, there wasn't liberal or conservative or, or neo-Confucianism, Confucianism versus traditional Confucianism, nothing like that. It was just whoever, whoever they think they can, can, they're just grouping around powerful people who they think can advance their careers. And uh, they only supported agendas that can move them ahead, which is very similar to how Korean political parties work today. South Korean p- political parties work today. I bet you North Korea too, but we, if we can get a window inside of that, um, because that's what, what puzzles a lot of 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 uh, Western, I would say at least Western political scientists when they look at uh, Korean politics, it feels like that uh, left is right and right is left. And it, in reality, it's really just people just forming around someone that they feel could advance their careers, whoever's more powerful. Um, you find that in Korea, sometimes the conservatives act like progressives and the progressives can be very xenophobic and tolerant and tolerant. <laughs> um but you know, anyway, it just it just feels like it's more about power rather than uh, philosophy that pulls them together. Um, so in Confucianism, we talked about virtuous person is a, a junshi, uh, and they then in, in, in a junshi should not form a faction. Uh, but a later uh, Chinese, uh, later Chinese, yeah, Chinese Confucian scholar, uh, Wu Yangxu, uh, distinguished between joining factions for the common good. Versus joining factions for selfish interest, and uh, you, you see all this time this this uh, the Joseon scholars always dividing themselves between the virtuous and the petty, and it's always our team is virtuous, that team is petty. Uh, no middle ground, only extremes, extremely dogmatic, kind of how it is today. Um, there, there's always the good in group and the evil out group, and we see other. lots of. Yeah, you see lots of patterns of this now. It's not just in politics. It's in many, many ways is people that are outside the group is extremely a non-person. Now, it's changing a bit these days, but I think we've experienced this a few times, Sean, ourselves. Is mm. We've seen the treatment, especially – well, I mentioned, I think, in the last episode, my, I think I've seen how Southeast Asians are treated and, and people with just uh, – Dark, more melatonin, more melatonin. Is that what is it? Yeah, more just darker skinned people right, um, right. are treated very much the extreme outside group, or, or um, 
people of different religions and such are treated as an extreme outside group. They're evil. Uh, any, anyone that's different that's not in our group, um, really look down upon, just treat us non humans. Um, anyway, so, but well, one, one factor that would kind of bind them would be a common educational backgrounds. Does that sound familiar, Sean? Mm. <laughs> no, never heard yeah. this before. Yeah. What school did you go to? <laughs> School in any goddamn business. Yeah, school um, I went to. One of my diversions uh, uh, is the the Korean drama, the amazing attorney Wu. Um, there's this recurring character that's a judge. And he's very conservative, very old school conservative. And anytime someone brings a case before him, he will just stop and just interrupt them and say, "What school did you go to?" <laughs> you could tell that he was just going to prejudge based on if they went to the same school. The school of hard knocks. Yeah. Still the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the, like I said before, the scholarly scholarly class or the literati, uh, they, they did not really have a posh life. Uh, uh, they were, they, they were part of the, the Sanangong Sa, Sa meaning ruling class. And uh, the literati had a very overblown sense of pride in their positions. It's very big sense of entitlement. So they refused to engage in any economically productive activity. And they had a general contempt for physical labor, making sure they grow their pinky fingernail to prove that they do not do any physical labor. Government service was the only way they could create a successful, comfortable life. And there were, like we said before, there were very few government positions for the number of, of uh, educated Confucian scholars out there. Kind of like today. Um, one example was, was a, a gentleman named uh, U, U Ha Young uh, spent much of his life studying for the civil service examination he took it 12 times in his lifetime and failed each time. And, you know, the exams were given every three years. So that means 36 years of his 71-year life, he spent trying and failing to pass the exam. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> now, Sean, I think I know one person. You might know, I might, you might know one or two people that are kind of like, I would say the equivalent of like lifelong college students. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I think like the person that just, you know, he's, 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 he's about to hit 50 and he's still, yeah, I changed my major again. <laughs> yeah, just not still live with his parents. Not, mm. you know, uh, hasn't graduated university yet. Uh, get those. Anyway, we'll return to the podcast. After this message. In our first comic, we explored ghastly Korean folk tales while walking the streets of Seoul. This time, we are ambling the Korean highlands with terror tales set in those storied landscapes. Welcome to the dark side of Seoul, weird tales from Korean lore, Mountains of the Macabre. Yeah, 
and I mean that's fine. No one has to go to university, but if you if you're just in it in it for decades, just stop. Yeah. Just finish or stop. <laughs> you know, you're spending so much, but think of all the money you spent. First of all, yeah, you know, and just your entire life studying yeah. for something, you just keep failing. Yeah, I mean, some people have it. I mean, you remember you heard it, you remember a long time a few while back there was that woman in her sixties or was sixties or seventies who kept trying and failing and finally got a driver's license because she kept failing the exam over and over. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I remember something. I don't remember remember how old she was, but yeah, remind me of that, that one. <laughs> just the money you've spent, just just get just buy a bike, right, right, and right, and so a scooter. You bring that up, the devotion to study so much uh, just made them impoverished, um, and so right. because of that, there was even higher pressure to get any government position, mm-hmm. and so and also the people that were in needed to get promotions. Uh, because they could get no income except from the income from their land. Well, they refused to. <laughs> and there was a shortage of land, too, because of something called the Chikchon system that was introduced in 1466, um, which said officials could only collect rents from lands while they were in office. Uh, scholarly officials couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... These scholarly officials tended to hold on to their lands much longer than they were in office. And it was just, it just, they just wouldn't let go of it. So by the mid 1550s, the time we're talking a little bit before time we're talking about, uh, the Jikjong system was falling apart. So, uh, King Myongjong, the previous ruler, introduced rice payments for during their tenure. So you didn't get land, you would just get payment and rice. And so that meant that there's there's nothing for you to hold on to. You actually got a salary. Well, that's not salt, but a, a boppery. Would you say a salary? Oh, definitely salary. Oh my god, it is a salary. Sal. Oh my god, <laughs> it's a literal salary. Salary. <laughs> wow, that works in two languages: in Roman and in Korean. Okay, but you yeah. didn't know salary is based on the word salt. Well, soldiers were paid in salt, and that's where the word salary comes from, and also where this word salt. Um, salad comes from don't know why um but yeah sal which has two s's when you romanize it sal means like raw rice yeah salary yeah does work it does work wow (laughs) i love this i love this podcast sean you should listen to this podcast it's really good i think i will i think i'll subscribe to it yeah it's really good tune in now and again you learn stuff yeah Yeah. the bus in the bus or something yeah yeah, in the middle mm. of ninja fights. Yeah, yeah. These guys, these guys are a bit annoying, but uh, yeah, but I'll, yeah. I'll listen out again. Yeah, those bad dad jokes. <laughs> um. So yeah, because of that, they were more desperate to hold on to their jobs because they knew they weren't getting anything after that. And by God, by gum, they weren't going to work for their money, for their salary. <laughs> So there were fierce struggles for key government positions. Um, now there were two major sparking points um, that that would cause a lot of this, things that would just spark a lot of these factional strikes. I mean, you, do, you have the causes, but then you also have like the uh, you know the the the, the first shot, uh, the, um, like um, or you know the the, the Duke gets. Duke getting assassinated um, in Europe. And um, 
you know, can, uh, so the middle ranking, one is the middle ranking personnel officials would tend to overstep their authority over appointments. So like I said, the, the middle, this, these middle ranking personnel job, uh, personnel uh, manager jobs were very much coveted because you're in control of who gets what position. So you can fill it up with your supporters. And uh, now, so they can suck it up with their own supporters, and also they can name their own successors. So, um, and doing so, that created the first factional division we talked about a long while back between the Dongin and the Soin, the 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 Western, the, the Eastern people and the Western people. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a bit too. Um, so, um, the other the other spark event that would usually spark these strikes was uh the inspection and remonstrating of officials the anti-corruption campaigns they were kind of abusing their power because they would only punish their opponents not their own team so uh uh those the agencies were always populated based on decisions by these personnel, the, 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 the agencies for inspection and remonstrating were, were populated, were populated based on the decisions of the personnel officials. That's why you want to be in the personnel office because you can fill up the inspection agency with your buddies. And so they're always impeaching the other faction, saying overly loyal to their own. But also these political factions were bound up in actual Confucian schools themselves. Uh, because the Confucian academies acted as recruiting grounds for these factions. Uh, like I said, like I mentioned before, these banished officials tended to establish or end up at these academies with revenge on their minds. And so two types of academies popped up, the officially accredited ones and the privately endowed. The accredited ones got land, slaves, and books from the government. The private ones lived off of donations, but the private ones were the ones people wanted to get into. Does this sound familiar, Sean? Uh, because they were great at getting people into office and they were great as refuges and uh, for angry, retired and dismissed officials and springboards for them to get back into power. Also, these dismissed officials could still submit petitions. So they would really could pull the strings because they had all their friends and former students still in the government and they're able to pull in petitions, submit petitions to try to uh, uh, get one up on the other faction. And uh, they also they were training their whole new generations of followers. And out of this, two Confucian schools became the heavyweights. We have on one end, uh, Yongnam School, which is based down in, in Gyeongsang province, Gyeongsangdo. Uh, I think it's, I want to say it's Andong, but I wouldn't say, I don't, I didn't see what town it really was in. The other one is the Giho School, which is based in Gyeonggi and Chungcheong province, a little further to the north, closer to Seoul or Hansang, Hanyang, Hanyang uh, at the time. Um, now, um, so keep in mind that this period of the scholar elite is the longest. It's the longest rule of the of the scholarly because of this. Uh, after after that past literary purge and they came back into power, they held on to power for three hundred years, and that was thanks to the Confucian academies pumping out so many recruit. They're being used as recruitment recruitment centers, 
And uh, they helped me. Actually, they helped maintain a balance of power because the Confucians, no matter how powerful they got, they never attempted to take over the throne because it conflicted with the virtue of loyalty. The one virtue they actually did honor <laughs> in one way. Um, and the monarchs themselves tended to shift their support between different factions, pitting them against each other. Little divide and rule. Now, I mentioned before. Uh, the East-West factions. They were the first ones that came about in the 1570s. Uh, the, the conflict between Shim Wee-gyum and the older, the elder faction and Kim, Kim Hyo-won and the younger faction. Uh, they were both, they were being appointed to middle ranking personnel management positions. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they created the elder and younger factions. Um, and this continued with, uh, second state counselor Baksun, who was part of the elder faction. And censor general Ha Yup, who was part of the younger faction. And so, uh, the younger faction, because Kim Hyo Won, part of the younger faction, he lived in the eastern side of the city. They were known as the East Faction, the Dong In, the East people. And they were from the Yongnam school. Remember, the Yongnam school was based down in Gyeongsangdo. Now, the So In, the Western faction, the elder faction, because Shim Wigyum lived on the western side of the city and they went to, they were from the Giho school. This is very much sharks and jets going on here. West Side Story, literally. Um, and he then beliefs I in before, the Habs. Yes. And so I'm going to go over this again because I mentioned this before. We talked about E E E, the influential Confucian scholar, and he was from the Western faction, the older guys. Uh, he tried to ease the conflict by taking himself taking a neutral position. Now, this, this is a cautionary tale to uh, anyone who tries to be a peacemaker. <laughs> so in 1575, he urged, he urged King Sonjo to assign both Shim and Kim, the two rivals, posts, the, lead, the leaders of the rival factions, posts far away from the capital. And so the king agreed and made, sent them out and made them provincial governors. And then Yi Yi came up with this, this position that both sides, you're both right and you're both wrong. That didn't sit well. <laughs> nah, nah. Especially when people who believe that we're, we're good and they're evil. No, that's not right. There's no gray area. No, we're right. They're wrong. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just to, step in for a second if everyone might remember the name ee e., i talked about him on the in the dragon episode yeah right he's on the 5001 note yeah yeah just so just a reminder go back and listen to the dragon episode <laughs> yes and and listen what happened to him because the <laughs> about his birth anyway so this yeah. is you're going into more detail towards the end of his life yeah because because yeah. both sides attack w w attacked him and he stepped down yeah <laughs> There's the only time they ever agreed on anything is they both hated the guy. Uh, so the balance of power did shift towards the East faction. In 1581, uh, Shim was, impe was impeached by the East faction and expelled from office. And in 1585, uh, Song Hon, another Western le West leader, was forced to resign. And so the East took over, but they only stayed in power for a few years. Uh, because... Now that they're in power, they got to split up again. That's what always is mitosis. Here we go. 
Uh, so in, in, in so in 1591, there was a split into the eastern. Keep track of this, guys. The eastern faction split into the north and the south factions over how to punish the impeached members of the west faction. <laughs> Get your compasses out. And uh, so the northerners were known as Book In, northern people. These were the radicals that wanted to permanently exclude the West faction from government. And then there are the Nam in the Southern people who were the moderates that, and they ended up forming a coalition with the West faction. Uh, and this all started out as just personal grudges against individual members. Like, Oh, uh, one guy is trying to get into office and, and someone else is blocking them. And then members, also members of the Western faction, since they were out of power, they started defecting to the Eastern faction, creating more competition for offices. And they're also, and also at the Yongnam school, uh, there were two competing masters inside that school. So they all both had their own disciples and they were going up against each other. And uh, this is, this is encapsulated in this, uh, the conspiracy, conspiracy against Jong Yorip. Um, now, Jong Yorip was a disciple of Ee. Uh, he entered office with the help of Ee. Uh, and in 1581, Ee Gong Jung blocked his career advancement. And, uh, 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 and then prominent East faction members launched attacks against uh, Ee Gong Jung. And so. Uh, uh, Jong Yorip ends up defecting to the Eastern faction in 1585 when it took over. He abandoned all his political and academic beliefs. Um, uh, and then also in 1585, E died, and uh, Jong Yorip openly criticized his former master as a petty person, the Shaolin, the most hated type of person you can be as a Confucian scholar, a petty person. I keep every time I hear that, I keep hearing like some Monty Python. You are a petty person. I keep hearing that. <laughs> you are a petty person. All right. King of the who? <laughs> Not my king. Why well, didn't king. vote for you? Yeah. <laughs> You're a petty person. Um uh and uh, uh so his attack on his former master, I mean, this is like the most unconfucian. I mean, you can't ignore how not unconfucian that is. So it provoked lots of backlashes from the West faction and the king. And so he withdrew to his hometown in North Jola province. And he organized, you know, so except when you go back home, you start, you know, getting your own little group together. So he organized his own special rock group called the, the Daedongge. And they started out as militants, but they grew into a national organization. And the, 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 the genius of this, because anyone could join, you didn't have to have status. You could just join. So it became this uh, populist organization and expanded throughout Jola and Huanghe provinces. And so it got a little too powerful. So in 1589, the government decided to do something about it. And so the Huanghe governor, didn't like what was happening. All these, all these, all these ordinary people getting political power, starting a movement. Didn't like that. So the Wangya governor and local officials uncovered a so-called plot against the king by Zhang Yorip. And uh, and so the word got back to the king that he's conspiring against you. So King Sonjo 
sent an army down to crush uh, Daedongye. And all the members were arrested. Jongyeolip was chased, then cornered, then he fell on his sword. Not by accident. He did it on purpose. Committing suicide. Uh, now, a lot of the people back back in the capital city thought that his suicide was admission of guilt. But some East faction members claimed otherwise. And uh, so Sunjo <clears throat> did not agree with the East faction, so he reshuffled the government in favor of the West faction. The West faction came back to power. So that, the East faction was very short-lived in power. Uh, he appointed Yi San Hei and Jong Chol to investigate the, this conspiracy charge. I, I love that how we we investigate we investigate the uh, the guilty after they've killed themselves. I think we still do that. No, we don't do that here anymore. That was the reason. Okay, anyway. Um, <clears throat> and this guy Jung Chol, um, he pushed out many of the East faction members, accusing them of being Jung Rodip follow- followers. Uh, hunted down anyone remotely. Connected to Daedongye. Uh, he fabricated evidence to frame East Faction members. And this guy, oh man, he's mean. He tortured every one of his subjects. Uh, one example was uh, a, gentleman, a man named E. Bal. Tortured him. He was a leading East Faction member. Tortured him, but he even tortured to death his 81-year-old mother and 7-year-old son. That's just the Joseon dynasty, man. Uh, and this was known as the political purge of 1589 or the Gichuk Oksa, in which 1,000 scholars and scholar officials were executed, sent into exile, or expelled from office. And man, we know what happens when you do that because they're going to go back and they're going to regroup. Uh, but anyway, Jung Chol's overreach ignited a serious backlash from the East faction, leading to the East coming back into power. Now, uh, the repercussions of this whole, the, the Daedongye, uh, people have said that uh, after that, Jola, Jola province was branded as uh, the rebellious region or Banyokyang. Uh, but it's questionable because there were no, no one's found any official record, records that labeled it as a re- rebellious region from that time. Um. Now, in December 1589, uh, King Sonjo ordered uh, Jong Yeolnum's family to move out of Jeonju because Jeonju was in Jola province and Jola was being labeled this way. Um, then uh, one of them out of Jeonju because Jeonju was is the ancestral hometown of the royal family. Didn't want it stained by uh, Jong Yeolnum's family. They even transported all of the ancestral graves. Uh, the familiar wow dug up all those bones Mm -hmm. and uh so you hear east west north south factional strife one's winning one's losing one comes back to power one's losing power and why you're paying attention to all this so so korea joseon dynasty is focusing so much on this regional fighting they're so focused on it they don't see that japan was getting ready Mm -hmm. to invade Mm mm-hmm we're going to stop it there. That'll be our next episode. <laughs> yeah. And we talked a bit about uh, Sunjo a few years ago now, a couple of years ago now. So if anyone remembers the name Sunjo, King Sunjo, you may 
we did talk about him before because we talked about his son. It's a scribble. It's a scrambling of Joe's son. Son Joe. Mm-hmm. There you go. Wow. I did it. I did it, Sean. You did it. Whew, you need a drink. I did it. I did it. Wow. Drink. Wow. That was a marathon. Were you able to follow that? Oh, you have to listen to that one again. But it's just, just the point. Of, the point of all this is that east, west, north, south. Everyone's fighting with each other, and they're so busy fighting with each other they don't see the Japanese coming. And there we go. And that the west was rising. The western powers were starting to come in too. Mm. Didn't see that coming. So, any listener mail? No specific listener mail, but I uh, just want to say hello to uh, Kai Hesselmeyer. So. Kai uh, just recently moved to Korea, I think at this point, about six months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he found the podcast just by, I think he, if I'm remembering right, he was looking for things like um, true crime or like interesting dark tidbits of Korean culture and history and whatnot. Came across Ooh. the podcast, Ooh. started listening, uh, enjoyed it. Uh and uh, heard about us talking about the Walk Among the Graves tour. And then Kai joined the Walk Among the Graves uh, this past weekend. So, oh. And he's now booked with uh, a couple of friends, uh, the Dark Side of Soul tour. for this oh, coming, heard of that. This coming yeah. Friday. I heard of that tour? Yeah. 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 Heard it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. Not bad. Yeah. Um, so, Kai, yeah. And uh, so thanks for joining the Walk Among the Graves Kai, and I'll see you soon on the dark side of soul. Wonderful. Uh, and and if you want to, you can also when you, when you actually get uh, when you when you book a tour, you can also have the option to purchase comics that we can which Kai them. did, which which I will try to remember next time. Sorry, he's <laughs> <laughs> not bringing them with you. I forgot. Oh, no, it was, I was I had rehearsal. Oh, what was it? I it's like. Uh, I I forgot that someone had ordered comics, and I just didn't want to carry my backpack with me that night. And uh, yeah, um, but but he got his comics. I, I I mailed it to him. In fact, yeah, I I made him extra comics, so that worked out for right. everyone. Everyone's happy. But yeah, you can do That's that. Good. We also have uh, pins and hats that uh, you can order when you're when you're booking, and we'll we'll bring them to you. Uh, I need a pin. I don't have a pin yet. Give me a pin, Joe. Mm, all right. I don't have any pins. Yeah, pin. well, if you came by Saturday, I had I brought your pins on Saturday. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I had a tour. Oh, I gave that as party favors. I was like, people don't know. My 50th birthday is like, I turned 50 in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And an hour, oh God, I'm just a little over an hour. An hour, and, hour and 15 minutes. Oh God, this is scaring me. Um, <laughs> And so I, we had a little pub crawl in the Taiwan on Saturday. Uh Sean, because he was doing that tour, didn't, didn't couldn't make it. Um, but I did bring pins for him to um he because he needs some pins. Uh but I gave them out oh Sean I gave them out as party favors to everyone who showed up for the Yes. That was fun. And everyone was wearing them too. That was really fun. Good. That was, that was kind of the sign. That was the sign of the of our of our pub crawl group is everyone's wearing dark side of soul pins. The dark side of pub crawl. Yeah, that was really fun. That was really epic. Yeah. <sighs> 50 is um, by the time this is released i will be yeah i'll be 50 50 in a few days 50 in a few days old yeah wow um this dark side of soul podcast is produced by some old guy and sean morrissey (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, opening and closing music is by Sonexon, which you can find on Bandcamp under Deji Digital. We'd like to thank our, our top tier patrons, Angel Earl, Joel Bonamini, Sharon Cullen, Devin Hifner, Gabby Palomino, Steve Marsh, Mitchie Brewer, Ron Chang, Mackenzie Moore, Hunter Winter, Cecilia Louvgren Dumas, Emily Umbau, Josephine Reedberg, David Weatherly, Janice Song, David Buchanan, and Edward Bradford. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yeah, you can join this bandwagon of of the beard. I don't know. Let's go say the bandwagon, bandwagon of the bearded of beasts. Bandwagon, bandwagon of beasts. There we go. Come on, we need more metal band names. You know. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash dark side of soul and starting up just five dollars a month you can get a lot of extra content and the higher we go up the more stuff you get um, anyway thank you for listening to us uh, please remember to like and subscribe or just tell your friends about it please write reviews on wherever you listen like spotify apple podcasts um, that really helps us out if you write reviews uh uh, yeah, just saying, listenership. It's always good to have more people listening. Um, helps us out a lot, and it gives us more friends and more enemies. We need more of those. So, um, <laughs> until next time, stay spooky. Good night. Good night.